Welcome to FraserCast. I'm your host, Dave Fettig. Today's sponsor is Fox Rothschild LLP. Fox Rothschild LLP is a national law firm with 950 attorneys in 70 practice areas, coast to coast. Individuals and businesses, public and private, and nonprofit, startup, family-run, and multinational receive their unwavering commitment to client satisfaction. Fox Rothschild is a proud supporter of Fraser Services and is dedicated to supporting nonprofit organizations that strengthen the future of our community members. Today we are talking with Randy Patti. Randy is a lawyer and longtime Fraser parent and volunteer. Randy and Val are parents to three grown boys, including Emmett. Randy and Val have been Fraser volunteers and supporters since 1997 when Emmett was diagnosed with autism. Randy is on his second stint on the Fraser board, having served from 2013 to 2017, including as board chair for a time, and has been back on the board since 2018. Welcome, Randy. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Dave. It's great to have you here today. Uh, let's start, Randy, with having you tell us a little bit about Emmett, uh, your child, as a baby, before you started to recognize uh, that something perhaps was um, going on with your child. Emmett was a, was a good baby. He was actually born on his due date, just like he was supposed to, um, and was uh, big and strong and healthy and um, seemed to be, well, he was fine. Um, he was actually a little precocious. He might have even been uh, ahead of other kids his age in terms of his uh, language um, and speech. Um, and he was always a sweetheart and very involved in everything and wanted to be around um, his older brother, Jack, and his mom and me all the time. So Emmett was a totally normal, happy, well-developing uh, child up until just before his second birthday. It was just before his second birthday when he had the shots, vaccines that kids that age get. I don't think it had anything to do with it, but it, does, it is a time marker. And just before his second birthday, he stopped being able to sleep through the night. Um, he started perseverating, walking around the patterns in the carpet at home, lining everything up and losing the ability to respond to us and to speak. He was putting together three words before that. Um, and after his second birthday, uh, just couldn't, he just couldn't spit out words at all. Eventually, uh, every once in a while, he was able to give kind of a growl. He would say, I'm fine. And it wasn't his voice, and it was clearly hard for him to do. But eventually that left, too. And he just uh, didn't talk. Uh, so difficult to hear. But uh, in, in terms of your response from uh, the doctors and others who were assessing, what did you learn immediately, and did you come to expect some of these things, or how were you prepared to deal with what was happening, at least in the short term? We were completely unprepared. We had no idea what it was. We had him tested to see if he was deaf. We had uh, testing done to see if he had a brain tumor. We took him to his regular doctor, who didn't have anything but told us about some issues of developmental delay, but none of that really seemed to make sense because he had developed normally, like I said, maybe even a little precocious up until the age of two. So we, um, we cast about for lots of explanations and never really caught on to the possibility of autism uh, until we finally got uh, a formal evaluation. 
And then when we did get the formal evaluation that he was autistic, the person who evaluated him said, yeah, of course, he's classic. Um, there's just no doubt that he's autistic. And um, Val might have been a little ready to hear that. I was, I was not. I was, uh, I was surprised. Let's first talk about your child in terms of other children you may or may not have. Um, first child? Yeah, um, our, uh, our oldest child is uh, Jack. He's about two and a half years, almost three years older than Emmett. Okay. Um, he was normal developing, although, although always a little anxious, uh, but he was a perfectly normal little boy. Um, Emmett was normal from what we noticed, uh, for what we saw and experienced, like I said, up until just before his second birthday as well. Uh, we do have a younger son also who's two years younger than Emmett. Um, his name is Cy, and he's also a uh, um, typical child. Well, he's not a child anymore. He's 23 for crying out loud. He's bigger than I am and has a beard. So, um, We're still children. He's, right. He's our child. He's just not a child. Right. Um, so that's, uh, and then Val and I, so that's, that's our family. Um, okay. I guess I forgot the question. Well, just uh, in terms of your response, your personal response as a father, and now you, you had a, uh, you had a child that wasn't your first child. Um, how does it make you feel? Um, what, obviously it's sort of a, uh, a break in the dream, if you will, or, uh, it's not the plan. Right. How do you, how Definitely do you do something like that? Um, a handful of things. One was, and probably the most um, hard one for me was it just seemed so unfair. Here was this beautiful, clever, incredibly friendly, nice, good-hearted little kid who all of a sudden is frustrated because he can't sleep. His brain makes him walk around in squares or circles and try to organize things. And he was very, very interactive with us. And he all of a sudden, I mean, I say all of a sudden, it was in the space of a, a month or a month and a half. That's pretty quick. Talking. Yeah, it was pretty quick and stopped interacting with us. Um, and I just felt that it was so unfair to do that to a little kid, uh, for that to happen to him, for him to grow up normally and then to have all of these changes happening to him. Uh, it just seemed unfair to him. You know, not to say, not saying that I didn't feel it was unfair to us too, but um, it just seems so, it just seems like such a loss. Like uh, it's just shouldn't happen to someone like him. Um, at the same time, we both did plenty of, you know, what research you can and, uh, I have worked with autistic kids before when I was in college, so I knew um, a little bit about what the uh, diagnosis was and what it meant. And I just couldn't imagine going through the rest of our lives with a child who wouldn't want to hug us or be able to speak to us or tell us what's bothering him or anything like that. Um, having some idea what it was, uh, what it might be like, didn't help things at all. And then when we got the formal diagnosis for him, which at the time was childhood disintegrative disorder, but they've done away with that. Now everything's simply on the autism spectrum. 
we were told that uh, boys who have onset similar to Emmett and who are diagnosed with CDD tend to have worse outcomes. And that has turned out to be true. Um, we've seen lots of other kids with uh, similar diagnosis who have done better, go on to you know, finish school and go to college and often have a job and certainly are able to communicate. Um, we, uh, we were not uh, as lucky, Emmett was not as lucky. So it's a feeling of helplessness too. You know, we you always think that if there's some sort of medical issue, it, there's a there's a fix for it. You know, surgery, medication, therapy, something like that to make it better. Um, for Emmett, there's been lots and lots of therapy that we've been through, but nothing really has stuck for him. So it was a helpless feeling at the beginning, and it kind of goes on day by day being helpless because there's so little that we have been able to do that has helped him develop in the ways that we thought he should develop. He's developed in other ways. Um, he gets attached to people. He's still very funny. He has a, you know, quirky, clever personality, even though he doesn't speak. Um, but just feeling helpless. What, I have no idea what happened, no idea why it happened and then got the news that it was going to be bad and it has been bad in the sense that he has never really developed very well ever since. Thank you for sharing uh, your personal feelings, Randy. I know, I know it's yeah. difficult. Uh, uh, so you have a family, uh, two other children uh, in addition to Emmett and a family with Emmett, uh, obviously impacted the family. Uh, again, not what you expected from your, your second child, but not what you expected in terms of the family itself. So can you tell us a little bit about what this has meant for your family? Uh, sure. Challenges and, and maybe, and in other ways, maybe it's brought you together in ways we, we couldn't even imagine. Sure. Um, our youngest was born when I was in a different part of Abbott Northwestern Hospital in a, uh, uh, an evaluation session with Emmett. So Sai was born not too long after Emmett turned two. Um, and at the time we were hoping for a girl because we'd read the statistics about autism in boys, especially siblings. Um, Sai is a boy, boy through and through, he's been fine. Uh, but that was a worry. And to be completely honest, uh, for both of us, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a, not a disappointment, but more fear when we had another child and he was um, a boy and uh, we knew what the chances were for him to become autistic as well or to be, ignite, be diagnosed that way. Um, Syed has been a delightful child ever since and very interactive um, and we watched him very closely until uh, the time period where we thought if he was going to have symptoms they might uh, they might develop and show themselves so that we were able to get through that okay. But that, to be honest, that was a tough couple of years. Um, we'd already been hit by lightning once, had no idea what was gonna happen with our second beautiful, delightful, interactive, pleasant child. Uh, and it was hard to watch that um, until, he, until he did turn out to be, to be fine. Um, it was Emmett's 
situation and the way he shows his autism uh, were pretty hard for our family. Our older son, our oldest son, Jack, uh, was very aware of how different Emmett was. And Jack started to pull back from having friends over and from talking about his family at school and not wanting to be around everybody when Emmett was around. And we, we could see that that was, that that was wearing on Jack. Sai, on the other hand, has always been around with Emmett the way he is, so didn't know anything different. It was perfectly fine to him. Um, the real problem that we had, though, was both of us were working full-time as lawyers, and things were already busy, even without uh, a child with Emmett's condition. And from the time he was diagnosed until... He was, well, until he started to live in a Fraser group home, he wouldn't sleep through the night. So he'd get up every night, two, three o'clock. And uh, at first, we'd just stay up with him an hour, two hours, uh, always a long time, stay up with him so he didn't hurt himself or nothing bad happened. And he eventually fell back to sleep. And then he'd usually wake up about 5 a.m. anyway. Um, but that was really tiring us out. Um, we were able to figure out a way to give him medication, which he hated and tasted awful. So I did it most of the time by wrestling with him and uh, forcing him to take the medication, but at least it made him go back to sleep in about half an hour. So he wasn't so exhausted all the time and we weren't either, but we were still pretty exhausted. Uh, it was, it was definitely wearing on all of us. And we had, um, our family had a pediatric neurologist at the time who knew Emmett and had been around him since he was diagnosed and someone that we knew and trusted very much. And she would check in on us periodically to see how we were doing. And there was a day when uh, Val was at Emmett's appointment with the other two boys and the other two boys were less interested in what was going on with Emmett. And Val was in with the doctor and the doctor said, how are you doing? And Val said, oh, you know, we're, you know, we're doing our best. And she looked at her, the doctor looked at Val and said, you know, you can't do this. You know that if you keep this up, he'll just ruin everyone's life. And then you'll have to put him in an institution. And that hit home uh, for us. That was hard to hear, but it was, <laughs> it was hard to hear, but it was really good and practical advice. Shortly after that, we had uh, a night with Emmett that we won't ever forget. Um, he woke up as he usually does. I medicated him like I usually do. And I went back to sleep and he woke up again. Uh, he woke up again because we think because he missed his diaper and he had two or three hours in his room by himself with the diaper to cover everything in his room. Um, with the contents of the diaper. So he threw out his bed and his chair and a lot of his clothes and the curtains. And we scrubbed that room from 5 or 5.30 until about 7.30 when the kids were getting up and getting ready for school. And we had all of his uh, ruined furniture out at the end of the driveway covered in a tarp so that it, uh, so the kids wouldn't see it and really wonder what was going on. But those two things, almost back to back, really persuaded us that, uh, you know, for 
everybody, even him. Um, the only real answer was to have him live in a group home or a, a different setting than ours. Um, so that that decision was uh, was really hard to come to. Val was much more practical and direct about it than I was. You know, in my mind, he's our son and he's part of our family. This is what people do for their family members, isn't it? But as a practical matter, hearing from other people, um, especially the doctor, like I said, it didn't make sense to to ruin what we had for everybody. So, um, and it was seven at the time, we made the decision to have him go to a group home. And we were lucky that uh, Frazier had a group home for children. I think it was the only one at the time. And um, they had an opening. And seven and a half years old, we moved Emmett to a different house. Now, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to say that. It's hard. To, it's really hard to to relive this. It was really, you know, it's. You don't want your. You don't want to have your child, your seven year old child, move out because you can't survive with them in the house. Um, and it was a it was a terrible time and a hard decision. And I don't want to go through it again ever. <laughs> Wish nobody ever else nobody else ever had to either. But it was really the right decision. Um, shortly after Emmett moved into the Fraser Group home, he started sleeping through the night. Wow. He was able to uh, have more therapy, more of the time that he was around. He was going to school also, but they were doing therapy at Fraser, and everyone who was there could also continue the therapy that he was going through so that everything was consistent for him from school to therapy to house and living, which is something that we tried but really could not do. Um, and it wasn't too long, a uh, few months after Emmett moved into the group home that uh, Emmett was over at our house visiting as he did a few days a week. And he grabbed my hand and took my hand and put it on the garage door because he wanted to go in the car and he wanted to go back to his house. Mm. And that's where he felt comfortable and that was home to him. And that was exactly what he wanted. Wow. Wow. Powerful story. Uh, uh, so Randy, uh, what can you say to other parents who either have gone through this or maybe looking to this, uh, uh, I don't know what you can possibly say than what you've already said, but perhaps how to maintain a, a bond with your child and to keep the family as uh, as a family, even with this um, separation, if you will. Um, yeah. How do you maintain that? I can start by saying when when Val and I first started working with Frazier, we would go to seminars where parents who had their children recently diagnosed would ask us questions and we would be on a, on a panel of other parents to, to explain, you know, how to move through the system, how to get some of the services and resources that are out there. Um, 
which which we did for a while, but after a while, we realized that what the parents wanted to hear from us was that everything was going to be okay. And it is, but it's not the version of okay that you think. And every parent who does this has to go through something, something like what we did and come out on the other side with their version of what okay is. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. It's certainly not going to be easy. So after a while, we spent more time talking about resources rather than kind of the emotional part of it. A, a couple of things have really helped us um, keep Emmett as part of as part of our family. One, he's close. We live in Hopkins. Emmett's, Emmett's in Bloomington. He's a 20-minute drive away. Uh, we see him. Um, we bring him to our house usually one night a week, and then we take him out somewhere uh, another day during the week. So we see him pre-COVID. We saw him. Uh, fairly frequently. Uh, we always had him for birthdays and holidays and family activities. You know, if the cousins would come in from out of town, we'd make sure that uh, Emmett came over and they got a chance to see him and, and he see them and, and interact. Um, Emmett's still a person inside there, even though he doesn't talk. Um, he seems very happy to see us, very attached to Val. Um, he likes to do the things that we do as a family, as a group, whether it's go walk in the park or in the wintertime, go walking around inside the Mall of America, or we have a, a park with a nice swing less than a block from us. He loves to do that when the weather's good. So he participates in all of that activity. And it's, it's good for all of us to see him doing something where he's happy and he's enjoying what's going on and seems comfortable with himself and with us. I think that helps quite a bit to remind us that he's not some absent relative living off somewhere else. He's, he's our child, he's our son, and we have him around when we can, when it's good for, good for him, um, not when it's not when it's good for us, but when we think he'll get something out of it. And the boys grew up having him around at those times. And we talked about it a lot. So they both know why Emmett lives somewhere else uh, and that we hope we won't do it to them, make them move out. That was a hard conversation. Yeah. Um, but just kept him as much a part of our family uh, as we could. And to Emmett's credit, he's delightful when he comes over. He's almost always in a good mood. He's interactive. He likes to eat. So we feed him. I mean, what parent doesn't like to see their child eat healthy? So that's always good. And he's perfectly comfortable hanging around in our house, doing his thing until he's ready to go. And then when he's ready to go, still likes to grab my hand and walk me to the garage and open the door and drive him back. So I don't think there's any magic. I know there's no magic to what we've done. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it is, is really making an effort to keep Emmett part of the family, but there's a fair amount of it that's guilt that we'll probably never get over to, to make sure that he participates in things. Um, 
but it's 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 worked for us. So thank you, Randy. And if you could tell us a little bit more about Fraser and the home there, because when our children go off, we care about the connection with ourselves, but we also care about the life they're living outside, away from us, right? Sure. And uh, what's been your reaction to the group home and the people there and your comfort with um, Emmett there? It's been nothing short of fantastic. That has been uh, an incredibly good experience, I believe. I, we are just so lucky that we found what we did in Fraser. Um, there's a woman who's been working at the group home that Emmett's been in ever since he went in 16 years ago. She's great. She can make him do things that the rest of us can't. She can get him to put on his socks and shoes, whereas we had to do that ourselves for him for years, but he just loves her. Uh, she has fully embraced him as a member of her family also, and she is just, um, she's just an angel. She is great. So that has been that's been really comforting to know that she's there. She knows Emmett. She's been around him in many ways longer than we have. And she's still there. And there's, she's someone that we can talk to with any questions, issues, or anything like that. That continuity has, has really helped. Um, we also stay fairly involved in the house. Um, again, pre-COVID, we're there at least a couple times a week. Um, we try to participate in birthday parties for the residents that are there so that we get to see them. You know, we walk around inside the house and say hello to the other residents, uh, try to get to know the, the names and a little bit of the backgrounds of the people who work there. The people who work there have been fantastic. They're very, I think they know that we really want to know that our child is safe and healthy and that we can interact with them and they've been very good. Um, he moved from a house in West Bloomington to East Bloomington, closer to the Mall of America uh, a few years ago and the house is much nicer and it's much better set up and they have a huge backyard and they have a, uh, a park that's about two blocks away. Uh, we gave them our rainbow play system when they moved in there because Emmett used to like to swing in that when he was smaller. Um, has always liked to swing. I think he likes the movement and there are places for him to do that in the house. We're comfortable with it. He's obviously comfortable there. He likes it there. One of his favorite things to do is to hang in his bed and watch the Food Network. And he loves to eat, so that's not really all that surprising. Um, but it's uh, it's been good. Fantastic. Uh, you've been so generous with your, your, your feelings and telling us a, a difficult story about you and your family. Uh, you, you mentioned a seminar earlier. Uh, have you and your wife and your other two children been able to get the support you need, not just then, but now and you know, continuing over time? Yes, we have. Um, um, we had a group of parents whose sons, all sons, were diagnosed at about the same time and were all in a Fraser group therapy together. So each of those four boys and then uh, their parents, and they each had, well, three of them had two siblings and then one of them had one sibling, uh, nearly all boys. So we used to get together with that group all the time, uh, referred to them as the Autism Social Society because we liked the acronym. Um, so we referred to ourselves as the ASS group. Uh, but we got together frequently and it was a very comfortable group to be around because you could have someone strip naked and run around the backyard and that was fine. You could have 
someone who took all the bread in the house and made toast and took all the coffee in the house and made coffee and cooked it all and then threw it away immediately until there was none left. But that was normal too. Um, tears, weird playing, screaming, typical kids, non-typical kids together. Uh, it was great. It was a really, really helpful set of four couples. Uh, we spent a lot of time together over the years. It's kind of uh, waned a little bit now, and some of the boys have done better than others. Uh, but that group really helped us more than probably any other group, and it all came from being parents of kids uh, about the same age uh, who are being treated at Fraser. So, Randy, you mentioned your wife, Val, and her uh, response, maybe her emotional readiness to move on to another phase with Emmett, uh, and, and perhaps it took you a little longer to come to it. Can you tell us a little more about uh, that dynamic in your relationship and maybe perhaps why it took you a little longer to um, come to this understanding? Sure. Um, I think Val came to the realization earlier because she was with Emmett all the time. She knew uh, the situation. She knew his abilities and his capabilities. She also knew what was happening to our family in the process. And she's also just more, in many ways, analytical and realistic than I am. She really was able to see what was happening and to figure out what the, what the fix should be, what we needed to do. And once she realized that, from an analytical point of view, she was ready and knew what had to be done and knew to push forward. I didn't want to believe it. No. I didn't want I didn't want what I knew was real to be real. So I wanted to continue to push and keep doing what we're doing and hoping that things would get better. Um, I understand it was an unrealistic point of view on my part. And had we followed what I was feeling at the time, uh, things would be would be worse. So um, it was a good combination for the two of us mm -hmm. to be there. We had one who was uh, uh, kind of a daily unrealistic optimist and another one who was very realistic and drove what practically needed to be done. Um, and then eventually together, we were both able to get to the same point. So... Um, it was just a, a different process for her than it was for me. Uh, just a part of its different personalities and part of it's probably the, the dad approach too. I sure. want everything to be good to go well for my boys and couldn't believe that something uh, that bad was going to happen. Right. And that's something that you couldn't fix. Exactly. Yeah. Something that I could not fix, but that had to be fixed in a different way. Right. Thank you so much for your time, Randy. Uh, is there anything else uh, you would like to share with us? Yes, is the short answer. I would like to share that it's not what you hope for. It's not what you plan. It's not how you expect or want your children to be and to grow up. I believe we were lucky to find Fraser and the resources that Fraser offered, but especially a place in a group home and having that help that gives us the comfort uh, and the surety 
that Emmett is safe and that the people around him take care of him and love him too has made this bearable. If he had gone to anywhere else where he was treated poorly or physically wasn't a good setup or he had troubles there, um, I don't know where we'd be. I don't know what we'd do. But it has been a true blessing for us to have Fraser to lean on so that uh, we can continue to be a family and that uh, we didn't break in the process. Well, thank you, Randy. Uh, many times, thank you. You've given us a tremendous gift today. Uh, we thank you uh, for taking the time and telling us your story. Sure. For those of you listening, if you're interested in supporting the essential services Fraser provides to vulnerable individuals around the state of Minnesota, please visit www.fraser.org. That's F-R-A-S-E-R.org to make a gift or register for an upcoming event. It's because of you that the ability for Fraser to serve those in need is still possible. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Dave Fettig. As always, take care of yourself, be well, and stay safe.